Well, good morning, everyone. I want to thank you for joining in on this message. It is an unusual time as we are hearing God's word, not as a gathered church, but we are separated. However, we are leveraging modern technology in light of our unique circumstances to still gather around God's word here on Sunday, December 20th, 2020. Let me open up our time in a word of prayer, and then we will look together at what God has for us today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I come before you now this morning, and I ask that you would speak to your people. Lord, though we are separated from one another in a unique and exceptional circumstance, I pray that those of us who are able to listen to this message would be encouraged and built up as we are remembering what you have done for us in Christ and as we look forward to what you still will do in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good memories and good news can serve like medicine to a weak and weary soul. Good memories can serve like medicine to a weak and weary soul because good memories stoke the flames of once deeply cherished life experiences. Recently, my oldest son, Noah, asked me sitting around the dinner table, he said, Dad, what was your favorite Christmas gift growing up? Now, whether it's because I was older and my memory was better or it truly was the best gift I've ever received growing up, the first thing that popped up in my mind was the red go-kart. The red go-kart was a gift my brother and I received when I was around 12 years old. It became such a pastime joy for me and my brother and really our whole family that my dad kept it for years to come, uh, even into my mid to late 20s, and we were able to ride it uh, during the annual Christmas holidays, even as married adults. I'm sure you can think back on some fun memories of Christmas gifts you've received growing up. Maybe it might even bring you a smile today. Also, good news, like good memories, can also serve like medicine to a weak and weary soul. Between now and April of next year, thousands and perhaps hundreds of thousands of high school students around the world, uh, and really, really around this country, obviously, will open up letters in their mailboxes of acceptance letters of colleges and universities they've applied to. Uh, Many of them will read the exciting news that they have been accepted into the college of their choice that perhaps some of them have been waiting a long time to hear from. I mean, you know, and I, you and I know what that kind of feeling is like, right? Whether it's the surprising news that your grandkids are moving closer to your home, or getting a good report from the doctor, or getting the job promotion you weren't sure you were going to get, regardless of whatever the situation specifically might be, we all enjoy hearing good news. You know, good news is always sweet when you, what, what you've waited for for so long finally comes to pass. Good news is especially sweet when our circumstances in life have tasted quite bitter for a lengthier period of time. I think all of us, if we're honest, we've probably all had those moments like me and my wife have sitting on the couch here in our living room of wondering When will we hear some good news? I just want to hear some good news. It seems like every day that goes by, every week that creeps up on us, and every month the kitchen calendar turns to the next page, it seems that you and I have had to face even times like this year and probably even many years previously of the inevitable grim news that my plans are changing again. From a divided U.S. presidential election, to the cancellation of sports games, to the suspension of normal school activities and being transferred to virtual school or church online, 
This hasn't been the year many of us envisioned for ourselves. I mean, think back for a minute. Let's look back to December 2019 for a minute. Okay, do you remember where you were? Remember what you were doing? Now, if we zoom back forward to December 2020, it feels like we're celebrating the five-year anniversary of the year 2020. Now, not that we haven't heard enough about it, but the COVID-19 pandemic is still affecting billions of lives around the world, including us who are listening to this message today. In fact, it's even more relevant to us because we aren't meeting in person today due to the increased number of us who have been affected by the coronavirus, even in our own church family. You know, apps on our smartphone devices tell us that states are hitting record new highs of people that have been infected. Sadly, new record highs have been documented, even in the amount of deaths that are tragically still occurring. COVID-19 has made life so odd and abnormal this year uh, that we've experienced things, we've witnessed things that we only thought could happen in sci-fi movies. Movies that we didn't even think would ever depict real life. For example, birthday parties and wedding reception parades being celebrated from cars instead of living rooms and banquet halls. Family members crowding outside in the front of lawns of hospitals to see a newborn baby born, but to celebrate this birth through a glass window instead of being huddled together in a warm hospital room. We've even witnessed sky-high visits from bucket trucks by people to see loved ones who are quarantined in hospital rooms on elevated floors. Many of us have even witnessed firsthand this year Zoom video chat rooms that recorded the funerals of spouses, parents, and friends. I personally watched two funerals this year through Zoom where one young man spoke at his dad's funeral and another man his father-in-law's funeral. On the one hand, we are amazed at our modern technology and we should certainly be thankful to God for his provision. But I think I can speak for all of us when I say this. Even the most modern and efficient forms of technology cannot replace the intimate and natural experience of being face-to-face with those that we love, especially in life's most precious moments. And regardless of what your specific thoughts are on the arrival of the COVID-19 vaccine, the hope of ending this pandemic seems more imminent today for our shaken up world than it did nine months ago. And with the hope of this possible good news around the corner comes the hope that life will return to a more stable and peaceful state. Friends, what good news are you looking for to bring peace and stability into your life? What good news do you think you most need to hear, including the people you most love in your life? What good news are you holding on to to keep you focused on what most matters? If you have your Bibles, we're going to look to questions like these today. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4. This morning we're concluding our sermon series through the Old Testament prophet of Malachi by looking at the last three verses. Malachi chapter 4, looking at verses 4 to 6. This is God's word. Remember the law of my servant Moses the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction." 
If you're taking notes or you simply want some kind of handles to hold on to throughout the message, here are two points for us to consider this morning. Number one, remember what God has commanded you to do and act upon it. Remember what God has commanded you to do and act upon it. That's verse four. And then point number two, remember what God says he will do in the future and wait patiently for it. Remember what God says he will do in the future and wait patiently for it. That's verses five and six. Have you ever been with your family to a theme park or perhaps some type of shopping plaza and you came up with a game plan of what to do and where to meet to bring everyone back together in the event that everyone got split up? Well, it might have been the food court. It might have been the police station on site or perhaps the front entrance. Whatever you chose, it was to serve you and your family like a magnetic center, a magnetic meeting spot to bring you back together so you wouldn't be permanently separated from one another. Well, here in verse 4, Malachi begins wrapping up his prophecy to the post-exilic people of Israel with a magnetic meeting spot, or probably better put, a magnetic memory bank. In other words, for Israel to remain faithful to God, they would need to remember what God had already commanded them. In order for Israel to remain faithful to those covenant vows, the covenant, the pledge, the oath, the commitment that they had made with God and God with them, established by God's free and sovereign grace, they would need to return back to the spiritual protection and the precepts or the teachings of God's law. Here in verse 4, if you look with me, he refers to it as the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Well, who is Moses? I mean, he's really the first time he's mentioned even in this prophecy. Well, Moses, as many of you may recall, was the human leader that God would raise up to serve as a covenant mediator between God and Israel. He would represent God to the people by being the human instrument of administering God's commandments to his chosen people. Uh, The place we see this most clearly in the Old Testament is at Mount Sinai, which is commonly used synonymously with Horeb. You can see right there in verse Uh, This was where Moses received the Decalogue, uh, the Ten Words, or the Ten Commandments. Uh, The Ten Commandments, as we see clearly spelled out in Exodus 20, might be a good place to even remind you and your loved ones today of what those Ten Commandments are. And then they were expounded upon and applied in the preceding chapters of the book of Exodus. They were bound up in what later would become known as the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, This was also referred to as the book of the covenant, Exodus 24, verse 7. And the old covenant, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14. Within this covenantal framework, God would spell out the conditions, uh, the stipulations, as well as the content of God's law, uh, the blessings and the curses of the Mosaic covenant. And throughout the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy, and then reiterated and applied through the remaining portions of the Old Testament, the prophets and the writings, God's law was given through Moses and proclaimed again and again and again through prophets, like we've been seeing through Malachi, to keep his people faithful to the covenant relationship with their promise-keeping God. So here in verse 4, I want to ask you, did you notice the brief and simple word, though, Malachi uses to draw their attention as he concludes this prophecy? 
Look with me in verse 4. He says, remember. Remember. And the word can just simply mean to recall to mind. To make mention of something, whether through word or writing, so as not to forget or neglect something. Really, to forget or neglect something quite important. And this certainly can have the connotation of memorizing and even reciting to oneself so as not to forget that something important. Maybe like some of us might write down on a sticky note as a reminder on the bathroom mirror or the refrigerator or the kitchen cabinet so as not to forget to take our medicine each morning. But the call here to remember brought with it the understanding that Israel was not to forget what God has said so as to drift into spiritual faithlessness or spiritual adultery. To act like a bride that has totally forgotten her marriage vows. Or maybe even worse, to act like a bride that totally forgets the love and care that her perfectly faithful husband had shown her. Namely, the Lord. Isn't this precisely what the bulk of Malachi's prophecy has been all about? During the first sermon in this sermon series, about five or so weeks ago, if you have time this Christmas, I would encourage you to maybe re-listen to those first three messages in Malachi so that you can put all of these themes together. But in that first sermon, I brought out to us the basic outline of The book and how this short prophecy contained within it six disputes between God and the nation of Israel through his messenger Malachi. Uh, Just to kind of rejog your memory, the six disputes were dispute number one, a questioning of God's character, namely his love for his people. Uh, The book opens up with Israel calling God's covenantal love into question, wanting evidence from God that he actually did love them. The second dispute was a dispute about the contempt that the priests, they were the spiritual worship leaders of the day, had shown God. Uh, They had unrepentantly and casually offered up lame and defiled offerings to God, almost like offering dog scraps to God as their worship. The third dispute was a dispute about Israel's faithless covenant breaking, but most specifically, how husbands frivolously divorced their wives and went and married women who worshiped pagan gods. The fourth dispute was about God's justice. Would God actually do anything about the moral and social injustice that seemed to have the upper hand in Israel's community? I mean, the people were jaded. They were calling God's righteous character into question. Did God really care? Would God actually judge sin as he says he would? And dispute number five was concerning repentance. God called his people to turn from their sins, to repent and to return back to him that he might bless them once again. Israel had become so spiritually dull and deaf that they didn't even realize they needed to repent. You know, Israel was committing temple tax evasion. That's why God told them, you have robbed me. They were no longer offering up obediently with their tithes and offerings to supply the needs of the community and the temple worshipped. Really at the heart of it, they had stopped believing God at his word and that God had always had their best interest in mind. And then the sixth dispute was about the harsh words that they had raised against the Lord, calling into question, you know, is it really worth it to serve God after all? Brothers and sisters, these disputes that the people of God, these grumblings, these suspicious questions that they offered back to God was was really the symptoms of a deeper problem. They had forgotten 
who their God is and all he had done for them out of his kindness and mercy. Brothers and sisters, remembering God's word then is the fireplace from which we warm our hearts and rekindle our devotion to God. Let me say that again. Remembering, calling to mind, bringing to memory, stoking the flames of our thoughts of God's word is the fireplace from which we warm our hearts and rekindle our devotion to God. You see, in Nehemiah's day, who served like a governor who would help the construction project of both the walls around the Jerusalem, uh, around Jerusalem as they rebuilt the temple, and this would have been in a similar proximity of time as Malachi's day, it was the public reading and exposition of God's word or explanation that sent a wave of revival in the people's hearts. Read Nehemiah chapter 8 sometime this afternoon to see this beautiful example of how God's word is like this massive fire that can burn into the hearts of an entire community. And the same is true for us today in the church. You know, anytime you and I ever witness or read about a genuine and lasting renewal of zeal for God and his mission in the church, whether you look back in church history or you look back even in recent years, you will always find a renewed appreciation and reverence for the word of God. You see, contrary to the common cliche, ignorance is bliss. Being continuously ignorant of God's word is actually spiritually dangerous for our lives. To live our lives day in and day out, totally unaware of what our God has spoken, twist it, uh, begin to think things about God that are even not true. It's like giving a young child a blank piece of paper and leaving them on the side of the road and tell them to figure out how to get home on their own. Beloved, this should not be so especially to those of us on this side of the cross who have been blessed with so much access and resources to know God's word. That's why Joshua, who would one day succeed Moses, would one day be given the charge to meditate frankly upon, or you could say to remember God's word as it would bless his walk, with the Lord, as well as he would bless the lives of those who would follow his leadership into the promised land. We read in Joshua 1, verses 8 and 9, this book of the law, which again is just another uh, word or another phrase synonymous with the law of Moses or the book of the covenant, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So regardless, if you are young or old, highly educated, or have just enough education to read at an early grade school level. God's word is a timeless treasure for God's people to remember. It should be talked about constantly in our homes. It should be preached at or preached and taught in our churches. It should be meditated on even while we are resting on our beds each night. Because one day, beloved, God's word may be the only thing that keeps you hopeful on your deathbed in your final hours. God's word is given to his people to bless us, to protect us, 
to guide us, to nourish us, to strengthen us, and to equip us to know the truth from error. Friends, in Hosea 4 verse 6, it might be a great verse for you to read and think about today. In Hosea 4 verse 6, God once said this, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. He's not speaking about lack of knowledge of the weather or lack of knowledge of what's going on necessarily in the world. He's speaking about a lack of knowing God. And this sad spiritual malnourishment is still true today for many. If you or someone you care about calls themselves a Christian but is not at a church where you can grow spiritually, you need to belong to one. It is God's will for every true follower of Jesus to grow up and mature spiritually. And he's ordained that to happen in most in clearest situations, according to scripture, in the context of a local church. Listen, ask a mature Christian for guidance if you don't know where to find one. You may even need to leave the church you're at in a peaceful manner to go be a part of a church that you can grow more spiritually at. You might need to move to a different community, a different city, a different state. You may need to temporarily pause on certain plans for one to two years, maybe in all of 2021, in order to grow spiritually for an extended season of time in a healthy church. But listen, you're not going to find a perfect church. So don't look for that. You won't find a perfect preacher because Jesus already fit that bill quite nicely. But prayerfully and carefully look for a church that is clear on the gospel. Clear on what it means to be a Christian. A church that has a fruitful concern for meaningful church membership. And what is meaningful church membership? Well, it's really a community of believers who know one another and take responsibility for one another, and they take the serious and high calling of learning how to love one another as Christ has loved us. It's really your formal and visible commitment of saying, I follow Jesus, and I demonstrate that by helping others follow Jesus. You see, a serious Christian will want to grow spiritually and should be a part of a biblical gospel preaching local church. And every unbeliever that is serious about wanting to follow Jesus should also find a biblical gospel preaching church that wants to follow Jesus. Every person who wants to take the claims of Christ seriously, who considers heaven and hell, truth and error, should all consider being a part of a local church that takes serious the priority of remembering God's word. Beginning from its pulpit and then like a waterfall trickling down into the pews, every true church that seeks to be faithful will have a concern to expose God's people to the whole counsel of God. That's why the Apostle Paul once told Timothy to preach the word. And he said to do that in 2 Timothy 4, in season and out of season. And that just simply means all the time. Regardless if the masses are flocking to church and are eager to listen, or even just a handful of people show up to hear the word. Because Paul says, listen, Timothy, young man, there is going to come a time where people will no longer have an appetite to hear from God. That's why he explains and expounds even further in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
You see, listening to the truth of God's word and remembering what God has said can be a matter of a church thriving or a church dying. A marriage growing or a marriage falling apart. A person enduring to the end in faith or a person compromising the truth and making shipwreck of their faith. So beloved, what are ways you and I could remember God's word better in 2021 than we have in 2020? Here are some thoughts. Commit to regularly attend the church you belong to and take notes from the sermon if that helps you retain it better. Or perhaps if you're not a great note taker, re-listen to the sermon online multiple times in a given week and you might even glean something new or different that second or third time listening to God's word. Begin trying to memorize a couple of verses of scripture each week. Maybe start in an epistle like Philippians or Colossians and make it a goal to eventually memorize a whole chapter. I have a fellow believer hold you accountable to repent of sins you're confessing to them and have honest spiritual conversations with how you are growing or not growing in your walk with the Lord. I have what I call those hey bro conversations. It goes like this. Hey, bro, what did you read in the word this morning? I want to be encouraged by what the Lord is teaching you. That's a great way. Whether Now, if you're a woman, you need to probably say, hey, sister, or something down to those lines to make it appropriate to the person you're speaking to, of course. But the idea is to cultivate a normal practice in your Christian life of asking other Christians what God is teaching them in his word. And it really serves like a twofold purpose. Number one, it, it actually keeps the other brother or sister accountable. <laughs> Have you read anything in God's word this morning? <laughs> Have you read anything in God's word this week? It's a great way to challenge each other, but also it's a great way to learn how to communicate God's word. And I have found over my, my experience as a Christian that I retain more when I read, think, and then talk about it with someone, I'm able to remember it for lengthier periods of time. And also consider, prepare your hearts when you come to the Lord's Supper each month here at Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church. You know, Jesus gave us this ordinance to help us remember his death and his promise to return again. That's why he instructed his disciples do you remember those words? This is my body. This is my blood of the covenant, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In order for the people of Israel in Malachi's day to renew their affections for God and renew their commitment to the covenant they've made with God and to wait on God in what he would do in his time it would require remembering God's word. Beloved, the same was true for us here today. In Fort Smith, Arkansas, in 2020, remember what God has commanded you to do in his word and act upon it. Last point is point number two. Remember what God says he will do in the future and wait patiently for it. Look at verses 5 and 6 of Malachi 4. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. You see, Malachi is the last prophecy recorded as having been given by God in the Old Testament. That means these two verses would have been the final promise they would have heard of God sending them any future messages, any future messengers, and to some degree, any future message of hope. 
Here in Malachi 4 verse 5, he speaks of the prophet, did you notice, Elijah. Now just like Moses was for the people of Israel during the exodus out of Egypt, Elijah was very well known for his ministry prior to one of the first exiles, the Assyrian exile. Elijah, in some ways, serves like one of the Mount Everest peaks of Old Testament prophets. In other words, he was very well known by Malachi's day of who Elijah was. He was really, you might say, in the hall of fame of God's spokesman. If you read back to 1 Kings chapter 18, if you're not familiar with Elijah, I would encourage you to maybe read 1 Kings chapter 18. You'll discover that Elijah was used of God uh, to put to shame the prophets of Baal. Baal was the Canaanite storm and fertility god, the ones that spoke on, in, on behalf of and really in defense for uh, Jezebel and Ahab, godless people who had wreaked so much havoc in Israel's life. And Eliza's ministry was one marked similar to Malachi's. It was marked by calling Israel, wayward Israel, faithless Israel, to repentance. A turning from their faithlessness and a turning back to faithfulness to the one true God. But one of the things that makes Elijah's life and ministry so unique was the way it really all ended. Uh, we read in 2 Kings chapter 2, that Elijah did not die a normal human death. But instead, the Bible says he was miraculously taken up in a whirlwind into heaven on chariots of fire and horses. I mean, how would you like to go out on your life in this way? So when the Lord through Malachi says he will send Elijah the prophet, Many of them would have envisioned a literal return of the actual prophet, the prophet who escaped normal human death and went to heaven on chariots of fire and horses. They would have thought this really is uh, a reincarnated, if you will, or a, a revisiting of the prophet Elijah who would restore all things. I mean, it seems reasonable, right? Well, what happened? After 400 years of silence, 400 years when heaven's loudspeakers had no longer announced any new revelation from God to mankind, Generations had passed and the spiritual health of the Israelite people had waned in various ways. Various Jewish sects, different, we might even say denominations in our day, would splinter out of the Jewish people and form a new religion among the Jews in some ways around the synagogue, such as the Pharisees and the Sadducees which held a range of beliefs that were to lesser and greater degrees of orthodoxy to the Old Testament. In other words, some of them picked, it, picked and choose which parts of the Old Testament they would obey or they would add things to God's law. But at just the right time, in the fullness of time, the scriptures would say, and through a very unlikely candidate, a man named John, born of a man named Zechariah and a woman named Elizabeth. John the Baptist, he would be called, would be born. He would be born and prophesied by the angel Gabriel to be the one who would fit the bill of Malachi 3 and Malachi 4. He would, according to Luke 1, verses 16 and 17, which is almost a verbatim quote from Malachi 4, Verse 6, he would have an Elijah-like ministry to turn the hearts of people to the Lord so that sinners would have peace with God and peace with one another. In other words, his ministry would be a calling of repentance. 
similar to that of Malachi in his day, Elijah in his day, even Moses in his day, this messenger would come like a voice in the wilderness calling people to repent of their sins and be ready to meet their Savior. He would fulfill that ministry role of God's messenger who would prepare the way. He would pave the road. He would construct the bridge and give access for lost sinners who are in the dark to see their Savior who is the light of the world. We read in Mark 1, verses 1 to 8, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, which he's going to now quote Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 40, verse 3. He says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea, dads and sons, moms and daughters, and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Lord here in Malachi says he would send this prophet, this Elijah-like messenger who would be the forerunner for the long-awaited and promised Messiah. The Messiah who after hundreds of years of silence from heaven would arrive as the promised King and Savior. The voice of God would shout once again with heaven's authority through the voice of one crying in the wilderness to introduce the consolation of Israel and the light to the Gentiles, Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, we need reminders of God's word, what he has done and what he has promised still to do every day. Every week, every month, and every Christmas season. You see, there is never a time in our lives that, that we, including your preacher, don't need reminders of who our God is and what he has done for us out of his love and grace and who he is for us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, the Christmas season can bring with it all sorts of exciting memories for many of us. And the Christmas season can bring with it all sorts of sad and lonely feelings that surround this time of year for others. For those of you listening to this, you might even feel like God has been silent towards you for a very long time. But regardless of which mountain or valley you might be standing on today, the most important thing is that you and I remember what the meaning and message of Christmas is all about. It's about the arrival of God in human flesh, heaven and earth, kissing one another, if you will. Emmanuel, God with us. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The miracle of the hypostatic union, the two natures, divine and human, perfectly in harmony and united in one person, the God-man, Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
Jesus, who grew up in the obscure town of Nazareth of Galilee, the son of a carpenter who one day would reveal himself publicly of his heavenly origin, his heavenly identity, his heavenly mission that would one day lead to a horrible death. However, his death would not be in vain, but instead would be for God's glory and for our good, namely the forgiveness of our sins. And his conquering of the grave would eventually lead to the exile of his chosen people out of the bondage of sin, out of the bondage and blindness of spiritual darkness and lead us to our heavenly destination to be together with our triune God. This babe who once lied swaddled in a cradle would one day grow up and die on a criminal's cross. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19.10 Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10.45 Jesus came to take away sins and to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, verse 5 and 8 Jesus came to do the will of his heavenly Father and glorify his heavenly Father's name. John 6, 38. John 12, 27 and 28. Jesus came so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, beloved, the gospel, the good news is always to be of first importance in our lives, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Whether it's Christmas, where we celebrate the arrival of our Lord's first coming, or Easter, the death, resurrection, and promised second return of the Lord's coming, we, as the people of God, need to be reminded again and again of this good news that has Come, listen, if you're listening to this and you are not a Christian or maybe you're uncertain if you are, let me ask you a question today. What good news are you looking for to bring peace and stability into your life? What good news are you hoping is just around the corner that will resolve your biggest problem? You see, the good news that you and I need to hear today is that God has done something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. You see, the good news is that Jesus has come. God fulfilled his promise even after hundreds of years of silence, he has been faithful. He sent this Elijah-like messenger in the person and ministry of John the Baptist. Jesus would even say in Matthew chapter 11, when people were misunderstanding uh, John the Baptist's ministry and eventually rejected him, Jesus would say this in Matthew 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, if you're listening to this today, Christmas is both about God's faithfulness and fulfilling what he has promised. And it is about God meeting us, heaven kissing earth of God coming down to us, taking on human flesh in our world of pain, in this sin-soaked life 
that you and I experience until the day you and I die. Jesus took on human flesh and was tempted in all ways to sin as we are yet remained sinless. Jesus willingly saw what it would take to reconcile a holy God and sinful man. He willfully gave up his own life as a pleasing and acceptable sacrifice to God as a punishment for our sin. And God raised him from the dead after three days, signifying Jesus is the promised Messiah. God's word is true and remains true. And when he rose from the dead, after showing himself by many proofs that he truly is the son of God and that he had conquered the grave, he ascended back to his heavenly father. And before he did that, he said, I promise to you again in the same way you saw me lifted up before your eyes and brought back to heaven. You will see me come again in the same matter. Jesus promised that he would come back for his church visibly and audibly for the whole world to see. See, that's the good news that you and I most need to hear today. That's the best news that we can tell someone this Christmas season. Greater than even the news of a COVID-19 vaccine, even the news of your Christmas plans working out better than you anticipated. The best news, the greatest news is knowing who Jesus Christ is and giving your life to him. Do you recognize you're a sinner? Do you recognize your own depravity and dissatisfaction with this fallen world? Then come to Christ. Turn from your sins and trust in him. He laid down his life for you so that he might change your heart and then you might willfully and joyfully live for him. Christian, do you need to hear good news this Christmas season? Then remember. Remember what God has done for you in Christ. God made a promise to send a Savior and fulfilled that promise over 2,000 years ago. And the promises of God that are still yet to be fulfilled with the arrival and second coming of Christ, we can hold our hat on this. If God was faithful to send Jesus to cause him to rise from the dead, then his promise of his return is as guaranteed as his first word. So beloved, rekindle your heart's affections for God today by remembering that God came down to us in human flesh. He lived in this sin-soaked world. He lived in this pain-inflicted world. And he took on the curse, the judgment we deserve. He bore the wrath of God we deserve. He experienced the worst injustice from men being the perfect son of God, treated like a guilty criminal. He was mocked. He was scorned. He was rejected. And he demonstrated the highest form of love for sinners, for sinners like you and me, to bring us to everlasting peace with God forever. Our good God. Maybe this Christmas season so far has been much like 2020 for many of us. Maybe it's been a major letdown, an annoying disappointment. I don't know all the ways God is going to use this type of year for good in our lives, but I know he can use it for at least this purpose, keeping us focused on what ultimately matters. He's continuing to make the gospel, which means the good news, sweeter to us with each passing year until we see Christ. 
You see, the deeper pain and disappointment you experience in this life, the sweeter the gospel will become to your weak and weary soul. Parents, uh, may the challenges you've experienced this year in raising your kids and perhaps the disappointments you felt with yourself in raising your kids or even the way your kids have lived their lives drive you to the mercy of God. Maybe instead of trying to give your kids the perfect Christmas with the most expensive gifts, maybe pray that God would give them the gifts of repentance and faith. Maybe ask God to give you a humility to see that we're actually not that much different than our own children. We need the same grace and the same help that our children and grandchildren need to live a life that's pleasing to God. And friends, if you're sensing a weight of guilt over your own weakness and inadequacies, feeling like you could just never do enough for God, maybe you've read the book of Malachi and realized, my goodness, these disputes sound like me. And you've literally acted more like the priest in Malachi's day. You just kind of go through the motions because you just realize, well, it's not going to matter what I do for the Lord this year because, you know, I'm just going to keep failing. Beloved, if that's you today, hear this timely word of encouragement during this Advent season. John Piper uh, says in a book during the Advent season, he wrote about six years ago called The Dawning of Indestructible Joy, this really good word. I'll read this and then we will close. He says, Jesus expects his disciples to be radically different from the way people ordinarily act. They are to serve each other and unbelievers. In that service, they are to drink the cup of whatever suffering it will cost. And it will cost. But if that were the only message of Christianity, it would not be good news. There would be no gospel. I need more than for someone to tell me what I should do and should be. I need help to be and to do. This is why Jesus says what he says in Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. What a horrendous mistake. It would be if we heard Jesus' call to be the servant of all in verse 44 of Mark 10 as a call to serve him. But it is not. It is a call to learn how to be served by him. Don't miss this. This is the heart of Christianity. This is what sets our faith off from all other major religions. Our God does not need our service nor is he glorified by recruits who want to help him out. Our God is so full and so self-sufficient and so overflowing in power and life and joy that he glorifies himself by serving us. He does this by taking on humanity and seeking us out and then telling us that he did not come to get our service but to be our servant. Here is a general truth to ponder and believe. Every time Jesus commands something for us to do, it is his way of telling us how he wants to serve us. Let me say it another way. The path of obedience is the place where Christ meets us as our servant to carry our burdens and give us his power. When you become a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, You do not become his helper. He becomes your helper. You do not become his benefactor. He becomes your benefactor. You do not become his servant. He becomes your servant. Listen to this statement. Jesus does not need your help. He commands your obedience and offers his help. Christmas. He came to serve, not to be served. He came to help us do everything he calls us to do. 
You see, beloved, before we can talk about serving the Lord, we have to first realize Jesus came to serve us, to clean us up, to transform us, to powerfully resurrect our dead hearts and turn us to God. And it's only as a result of Christ first serving us that we can in turn with joy and humility serve him. The law of Moses was the fireplace for Israel's hearts to remain faithful to their God in Malachi's day. And the word of God in the church, the gospel and its many applications and the entirety of scripture as we have it today is the fireplace for our hearts. Beloved, what fireplace are you seeking to warm your heart's affections to have peace and stability in your life? Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would use this message to be an encouragement, a timely word for each one of us as we conclude this prophecy from Malachi. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded that you are faithful. What you promise, you will fulfill. And even if we have to wait a long time to see it, you have already given us the best news through the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we do join with the apostles Come, Lord Jesus, come. May Christ come again quickly and take us with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.